G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, thousands of women in particular across Australia are without a, what is called a safe place to breathe each night as a direct result of domestic abuse. Well, some focus today on an initiative that's called the Safe Haven Community. There are hopes that with the launch of a new service, there'll be a reprieve for some women who are suffering under domestic violence. Safe Haven Executive Director Paul Ferry is joining us. Hello, Paul. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Paul, are Australian attitudes to domestic violence changing? Um, I, I certainly believe that there's a lot more awareness now since the Not Now, Not Ever report, which was handed down to government in uh, March uh, two years ago, there's a lot more awareness of the issue. There's a lot more people putting their hand up and coming forward and requesting assistance. Um, and I think that with that increased awareness, we're starting to see some change, some positive change in this space. Yes, absolutely. And so when awareness grows to issues of domestic violence and perhaps people and and mostly women, uh, but we won't leave men out, we'll talk about men in just a few moments, but women becoming emboldened to say, I can't take this anymore, uh, then you've got a new problem that arises, don't you? Because as women then are fleeing domestic violence, uh, the question is, how do you house those women? Uh, How does your project work in with that idea? Absolutely. Look, the the figures that I've seen are saying that since the, the Not Now, Not Ever report was handed down, there was an increased awareness of the the problem and therefore, I guess, an increased confidence in the fact that um, somebody would be able to support people if they put their hand up and said, hey, I need some help. Um, In actual fact, what happened was the the number of calls, I believe, increased threefold, but the number of services available to um, assist with the dramatic increase in calls hadn't increased threefold. So we, we have created a bit of a problem. It's a good problem to have because more people are stepping up and saying, hey, I need assistance. So I guess that's, that's where the idea of Safe Haven Community was founded two years ago in response to that because the question that was raised was, well, even if they could answer all of these calls, where would they put them? And, and how do we, as a community, respond to the critical shortage of appropriate and available accommodation for people wishing to flee abusive relationships. So our response is to you know, have people that have a spare room register in a national database and people that need a safe place to stay can then apply through that website to, um, to find a match and to find somebody in the community that would like to assist them. Let's talk about how this works because you've got this system in place where you want to be able to house women who are fleeing from domestic violence into a safe haven home, which is really someone's spare room. How does that all work? Well, I just want to um, make a distinction here. People that are fleeing domestic violence 
are in a high level of crisis and they actually need the support of emergency services and domestic violence refuges or shelters or police support. Um, Safe Haven Community helps people who are in abusive relationships to flee before they escalate to physical violence. So there's, there's a broad spectrum of um, abuse um, and at the very pointy end there is sexual abuse and physical you know, violence. So once they're that level of emergency, they really need the emergency services. It wouldn't really be safe, Neil, for us to put somebody with a violent perpetrator, um, uh, you know, chasing them down into a private home. So, so we have to do an initial risk assessment and make sure violence isn't present in the relationship. Um, before we can actually work with somebody. So you've got this differentiation between high risk and lower risk, and someone has to make that call. And uh, when it's high risk, uh, you really need to have a safe house idea, don't you? Uh, But it's the lower risk ones. Is that the ones you're primarily working with in this new charity? That's correct, yeah. And that's where we see the the biggest gap. We we know that people that are in high-risk situations are struggling to find um, shelter and refuge because there simply aren't enough spaces. But the people that aren't yet that emergency, um, people that aren't emergency enough, there's absolutely nothing. And it's like, you know, we have to wait until they're emergency enough before we can put them in a queue for safety. So our goal at Safe Haven is to actually get them out long before they become such a high level of emergency or crisis thus you know reducing the queue of people at that level of desperation that are seeking accommodation so it's really an earlier intervention um to to prevent people ending up in in hospital or you know with broken bones and bruises and and cuts and you know in worst case scenario um, being killed and murdered in their own homes Paul, as with all good initiatives, usually these start off with someone who has, in some ways, self-sacrificially lent a hand to someone who was in need. And uh, Denise Hunter is the founder of the Safe Haven community. What's Denise's story? Um, Well, Denise doesn't have any... um personal connection to domestic violence she wasn't in an abusive relationship um, nor was she ever abusive her parents weren't abusive but she was just you know she's um, a a simple I I can say this because these are the words that she uses a simple country girl that that grew up in a nice household and um, she wanted to make a difference Um, myself I also don't have any particular um, connection to it other than I see that this is happening and I feel so uncomfortable that it is happening and that there's a huge gap um, and and a gap that we in community can fill so we're we're both here not because we've been in violent relationships but because we know that other people are and we want to help. Paul, when we talk about breaking a cycle of domestic violence, this in some respect goes some way to helping that happen. Sometimes someone's got to be removed completely from their circumstance and never go back. Other times it's like taking a deep breath, a place to breathe, uh, while you get some uh, perspective from looking outside into the situation you were in. How does your initiative go along with breaking that cycle of domestic violence? Well, 
it varies from person to person, Neil. Some people, you know, if, if you're in a, an abusive relationship, you're in you know, a hypervigilant state most days, your social accounts and your phone may be being watched or tracked. There's, there's no room, you know, your Google history may be being uh, checked on a daily basis. So there's no real space to breathe. There's no room uh, where you can actually relax and start to gather your, gather your thoughts and work out what your next plan is. So some people may just need, you know, one lady said, I just need one night just to be able to sleep properly. So, you know, some people may only need a short period of time. They're already able to self-manage. They just need a safe space in order to do that. Other people may need, you know, a longer period of time uh, to find employment or to find a, a rental accommodation and to, to heal and to, you know, get that self-confidence back. So, we provide anything from three days minimum up to three months maximum for people, depending on their individual needs. And Paul, we started talking about this just a short while ago, the idea that not all domestic violence cases are where women are the victims, men are the perpetrators. Sometimes it's the opposite. And does the program cater for men as well? Absolutely. We, we don't discriminate. It's, you know, the, the problem is across all of Australia and, and beyond, obviously, throughout the world. In the majority, it's uh, women who are being abused, but that's not to say men aren't. And it's, it makes no difference to me, Neil, whether it's a man abusing a man or a man abusing a woman or a woman abusing a woman or a woman abusing a man. It makes no difference. If there's abuse and people need to escape, then we'd like to be able to help them. We also extend that to children of all ages, um, including babies and toddlers. And we also extend that to pets because often people won't leave a relationship if a loved family pet needs to be left behind. A lot of shelters and refuges can't cater for pets. So we figured, you know, we can take pets as well. So why not? If it, if it prevents somebody from leaving because they can't take a pet, then we need to be able to take pets as well. And that includes cats, dogs, reptiles, fish, you know, other caged animals. And Paul, for the past two years uh, since the formation of this new charity, it's largely been self-funded by its founder, but there's a need now for extra impetus, for an extra funding to occur. What is your call for uh, for funding for this type of scheme? Sure. The, um, the founder, Denise Hunter, sold her house and invested you know, the, the, the difference, um, the remaining profits, into the business to get it to where it is today. Uh, we officially launched on the 30th of August as a, a full-blown charity with um, DGR status, tax-deductible status with the ATO. Um, for us to, to continue forward, it is self-sustainable after a point, but right now, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly impatient. I want to deliver services as far and wide as possible where, where they're needed. So we're looking to raise $200,000 to provide that, that initial launch pad to get us up and running, you know, within the first 12 months. Um, and a lot of that will be on, you know, providing case managers and to actually grow the service and, and market the service Australia-wide. Um, after that point, then, we should be able to be self-sustainable. 
and your vision for having the service Australia-wide really is going to kick into a new gear next year. At the present time, you're primarily focused around southeast Queensland. Uh, For listeners who are listening interstate, uh, how soon can they expect that there might be opportunity to take advantage of or to be a provider of this service next year? Sure. So um, for us, the, the launch is southeast Queensland, and um, once we have everything ironed out and we have you know, a number of runs on the board, we can have proof that our systems are all working and you know, everything is, is tip-top, then we'll have the opportunity to start to grow the business. A lot of the growth will be based on um, where the greatest needs are. So being in, in conversation with service providers in the sector who are short on places to send people to will be a good indication. But also, I think, you know, as social media spreads the word, we'll see pockets um, pop up of people that wish to donate the rooms. And we can start to work wherever we have rooms. We can start to approach those service providers and say, you know, hey, we have some rooms. And wherever we have service providers that say, hey, we need rooms, then we can start to market to those areas via social media and say, hey, we need rooms. So it's going to be a bit of a succedency. Um, where is the demand and, and where, where are we pulled towards? Okay, so that means that people all over the country could register a room now and uh, be ready for what happens with expansion moves next year. Let me give listeners a website to go to uh, to find out some more details about the Safe Haven community. And there may be some who might like to uh, register a room in their town, uh, even at this early stage. Safehavencommunity.com.au. Paul Ferry is the Executive Director for Safe Haven Community. Paul, thanks so much for updating us on some details about the charity and uh, the progress so far. Appreciate you being with us on 2020. That's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.